Welcome to the One Life Podcast, a conversation about taking risks, dreaming big dreams, and living life on purpose. Guys, I'm excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's the Brooks at Weatherford. It's a wedding chapel and event venue tucked amongst the rolling hills outside of beautiful Fort Worth, Texas. I think this place is literally heaven on earth. It's right next to a beautiful lake. It's on a hillside. It's a great place to get married, to have corporate events. So for those of you in the area looking for an amazing venue, this is your spot. Head on over to thebrooksatweatherford.com for more information. Well, guys, on today's podcast, we are super excited to have the one, the only, Wes Yoder. Yay! Man, Wes is a, Wes. a hero for us, really. Yeah. He played such a huge role in our life, at the very beginning of our marriage and our business career. Yeah, Wes is a speaker and an author. He's the founder of the Ambassador Agency in Nashville, Tennessee. He has worked in the Christian music industry. He helped launch so many artist careers, Amy Grant, Rebecca St. James, Michael Card, all of your favorite artists. Yeah, Chris and Jenny Grady. Yeah. <laughs> So he's just incredible. He's got his hand in everything. You know, yep. if, if you're from Nashville, you've heard the name Wes Yoder because he's a, he's a giant in that town. Really, he makes a huge impact and serves so many people. He's also had his hand in literary projects, Purpose Driven Life, a Mistake Identity, and also the popular book, The Shack. He's been on TV shows like The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, Dateline, I mean, CNN, this guy. And now. And now <laughs> and he now, can add the One Life podcast to his repertoire. <laughs> so. We are so excited for you guys to hear this conversation with Wes. It is so full of wisdom. You're going to want to go grab a cup of coffee, get a notepad and a pen because he gives so much wisdom. I'm still thinking about it, still chewing on it. It's so good. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. So uh, glad you guys are here. Buckle up. It's a good one. Here we go. We are here with an amazing, amazing man of God, someone who's influenced and impacted our life so much. Wes Yoder, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. It's just so much fun. Feels like a family reunion or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Jenny and I were thinking about it. It's been, gosh, 13 or 14 years I can't since believe that. <laughs> we first connected with you. Yeah. Um, and kind of, I guess, give a little bit of background on what you do and how we kind of made that connection. Well, I, re- I remember, first of all, you showing up just with this passion of life bubbling up inside of you, wanting to know what we thought could happen with the bit of platform God had given you. You were basically saying, would someone please validate that the circumstances of my life that have <laughs> happened so far are not for nothing, they're for something. And, and if it's for something, what might that be? And then we started exploring that bit of our background that I think brought us together. I came to Nashville when I was 22 years old to work in what was then uh, not a Christian music business. It was strictly Jesus music and the Jesus movement was in progress. And I came to work with one of the first artists, the only artist, in fact, who was in that style of music at the time. And I was the only person working on the business side to try to help work behind the scenes to get his ministry a broader platform. That led to all kinds of things where during the late 70s, throughout the 80s, we were pretty much the the go-to agency for contemporary Christian musicians. We worked with Amy Grant in the beginning, uh, Michael Card, Buddy Green, who co-wrote that amazing Christmas song, uh, Mary, Did You Know? But the last artist that we launched was Rebecca St. James. And there's a long, fun story behind all that. But in the process of doing all of that, I was always curious about life, reading a lot, curious about things. 1984 formed a Speakers Bureau division of our company because I was concerned about, I was watching the subtle and then not very subtle influence of Eastern religions on American 
businesses through these uh, corporate speakers. I said, you know, we ought to at least have some place where followers of Christ, people who understand what a biblical worldview is, could have help getting their messages out. And that's when, in 1984, I formed the first faith-based speakers bureau, to my knowledge, anywhere in the world. Yeah. Well, that's what an amazing story. You know, for us, it was, I didn't know much about that. We'd kind of gotten flung, you're right, into this spotlight. And I was just a young, early 20-something and, and really had sat down with a couple different people. But when we walked into your office, the reassurance that was yeah. there and just you're willing to go, it's going to be okay. I know. And, I remember in that moment being so us. thankful, sitting yeah. in your office on your couch and going, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God for this <laughs> this man. You're just so solid and such a man of integrity. It just felt, I don't know, I just felt safe. You know, as a young wife in this new journey of learning, life and marriage and and where we were headed, it was great to have somebody in our lives like you to kind of point us in the right direction. So we're so thankful that God crossed our paths. Because of how we started the company, when there were no mechanisms out there, very little Christian radio for the music, we were doing very little way to launch something. We had to think creatively, like, what do we see in this person, in their ministry, and what God is calling them to do? What is there? What is actually there? And then, Lord, how do we create mechanisms that will take them into places where there's an audience for that message? And so uh, we've had the advantage that I think a lot of the bigger agencies sometimes uh, did not have. And that was to say, we don't care who you are. We don't care where you're starting. If if this is of God, we believe that he's going to open doors and we get to participate in the beauty of that. So that's always been our attitude and, and wondering, okay, why is this guy, why is this young couple now sitting on this couch where so many have sat? Why is this person here? Lord, is there something here that we're supposed to see, something that we're supposed to be able to, to do some work with? Yeah, well, it was, it was, I mean, really, it was such a defining season for us. I remember it was right after we pretty much had gotten married, and yeah. Jenny's dad's like, so what are you going to do for career? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to just travel and speak. And I met this guy named Wes, and he, he, he seems like a good guy. He's yeah. going to take care of us. So it really was just a defining moment for our life. Yeah. and such a blessing. I, I actually remember you asking or making that comment back at that time <laughs> about Jenny's dad and wondering what in the world. World are you getting <laughs> herself into? Yes. She knew she was in for a wild ride then, and I we did. are here 13 years later, still, <laughs> still on an adventure. adventure. Yeah. Oh, man. So, all right. So, thank you for giving us kind of a brief history. What I want to do is just kind of turn back the clock a little bit. You know, we're going to talk about this amazing book that you've written and how it's yes. impacted so many people's lives. Can't and wait. can't wait for our listeners to hear about that. But before we do that, your story is so unique, and we would love for you to tell us a little bit about that. And I and I remember when you told me, gosh, years ago, it was like, I grew up in Indiana, so you hear stories of the Amish and the Mennonites and all that, but it was just stories. You'd see a right. buggy every once in a while, but and <laughs> tell me where you came from before you ended up in Nashville doing all these amazing things that you've done. I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and all of my relatives that I knew at the time were either old order Mennonite or old order Amish. They didn't have cars, didn't have electricity, all of that. But there was this sense that the Bible means something. There was this sense that we are to follow Jesus no matter what it means. And we were taught to expect adversity in the world, that we were a people who were in the world, but truly not of it. We really are here as ambassadors for Christ. We really are here because God is reconciling the world to himself. And we are ministers of this reconciliation 
and that it's not always going to be a popular thing to be in that space. So somehow in the teaching that came from my grandparents and through my parents, even though there was this element of legalism, there was this also this sense of, you know, we are to take the message of the good news of Jesus to our neighbors. I mean, it was just incredible. That's amazing. So how does a young West Yoder move from Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, right, all the way down to Nashville? How, do, how does that transition happen? Well, the tra- transition came about. Dad had had a heart attack when I was a rising sophomore, another when I was a rising junior. Each one of my wow. two older brothers and my next younger brother had decided we were going to stay out of college for one year to help Dad on the farm because Dad was not able to continue farming. So a week after I'm, I'm graduated from high school, I'm 18 years old. I have 160 acres, 35 or 40 milk cows, and a brother in ninth grade as my work crew. Wow. Did that for two years. Mom and dad were able to pay me $50 a month. And because I'm a little creative, I was able to get myself in debt during that time. And, oh, yeah, there you go. Good job. So, um, I'm not quite sure. How, well, I have some ideas about how I did that. By the time the two, end of two years had rolled around, I didn't have a single cent saved up for college. So I got a job in construction, worked there for two years, and then one night in just a fit of despair, quit, said, I am not going back to that job. I was invited by a friend who was a gospel singer to come to New York with him. We went to a Jesus music festival in Long Island, spent the weekend eating Southern food. Oh my gosh, in Harlem, it was incredible. (laughs) Uh, At that Jesus music festival, I met Randy Matthews, Long story short, he invited me to come to Nashville to work with him. And I said, I don't want to move to the South. I mean, I just have no interest in that. He said, just come for one one year, just one year. That was almost <laughs> 45 years ago. Wow. <gasps> wow. That's yeah, crazy, incredible. Right? Yeah. Oh, so, that's such a great story. So, Chris, when, when people say, how did you get to Nashville? Most of the time, I don't give them that story. I just say, right. uh, God tricked me. Right. <laughs> yes. I, I like the backstory. That's, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's that, incredible. That oh, I love that so much, Wes. So, okay, Wes, you have written an incredible book. I'm really excited to jump into that. It's called Bond of Brothers, and I love this book so much. I'm enjoying it. I know it's for men, but I'm cheating and, and reading it anyways, and I'm just loving it so much. So thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jenny, I'm curious to know what you like about it. Oh my goodness, Wes. You know what's funny? I don't know why I've always loved books that are written for men. (laughs) I don't know. What's the secret? What's happening? I don't, I guess, I don't know. I'm a lot like my dad. I'm wired a lot like he is. And so I've always felt like Books for men really resonate with me. (laughs) She wears the pants in the family, Wes. It's so strange, but we also have a son that we have the honor and task of raising. And um, so I'm always trying to learn about how men are wired because... so fantastic, yeah. Yeah. That'll help him so much up the road for that understanding to be a part of the early parenting all the way through adolescence. Absolutely. I mean, you never really quit parenting, but it changes over the years. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Wes, you said whenever you had your your baby girl, Jenny, that you were holding her in your arms thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, do I have what it takes to be the father that she needs? Do I have the tenderness and the love? And it's funny because I felt that way with my daughters. When I had my son, it, it, for some reason, it came very naturally to me to love him and to just, I think I was so in awe of him because he's so different than me. 
And with my yeah. daughters, I had that feeling that Same do thing, I, yeah. yeah, do I have what they need to be a woman? Do I know how to teach them to be a woman of God? And you know, all that pressure you said you were feeling, I so, yeah. Yeah. so resonated with that. Wow. It's a lot of fun when, when uh, women pick it up, you know, leading to a deeper understanding about, you know, who we are as men what our needs are, why we function often the way we do. How does a guy make the kind of confession that, that lets the light shine everywhere? Yeah, that's so, it's so important. It's such a, a needed message right now. So I'm, I'm so appreciative that you listened to the Lord and you, and you jumped in to write it. I believe the first calling of a man is to know himself and discover the truth about who he is. What's the fabric? What's the architecture of the soul? How did you come to have this damage? How did you come to have this incredible passion over here for this good thing? And to know yourself. And once you know yourself, to use that as a confession to God. I don't mean a confession where you're just talking about the sin. I'm talking about a confession that says, God, this this is who I think I am. Would you modify this? Would you show me if this is the truth about my being? And then once you have that sense from the Holy Spirit that this, yes, this is who I am, then start telling other people about it and start engaging them. And what I discovered in that process is that once I knew myself, I knew every other man in the room. That's so good. I love that, Wes. And I think it leads leads really well into our next question. Another thing that I love that you talk about in the book is you have a really unique perspective on forgiveness, you know, and how that plays into our relationships with one another. And you say, when we refuse to forgive others, it actually reveals our lack of trust in God, which I love so much. And I don't even know if I've ever heard that before, but it's so true. Can you talk more about that and how we get off that hamster wheel? I, th I think the first understanding for me came with the idea that I have to protect myself. I have to take yeah. care of myself because God's not really doing it. If God uh. really had protected me, then this bad thing wouldn't have happened. Right. And so, so this whole thing of forgiveness starts with the question of, can God be trusted? Mm -hmm. And is he good all the time? Or must okay. I defend myself from God? Because we don't trust the hand of God is good. If God really is trustworthy, saying, okay, God, I want to see how you can use this, how you can adopt this as one of your all things that work together for good. So, so if it comes down, you know, we work over here in Nashville, which is the, you know, the Christian industrial complex. And it's, it's not necessarily a complimentary term, but <laughs> most of the guys that I talk to who are songwriters or who are in the music business or who are in the Christian publishing world at one time or another have encountered brothers or sisters, but mostly brothers that they have trusted. And maybe they wrote a song together or maybe they had this idea and somebody runs off with the idea. Mm -hmm. And it was the best idea they ever had. Yeah. And the, the question comes is, am I going to forgive the guy who stole the best idea God ever gave me? And what does it mean if I don't forgive him? If something that I have in my hand or an idea I have in my brain that I've told somebody about gets stolen and I don't forgive, it means I don't believe God is ever going to give me another idea that good again or better. Right. I don't believe that God has enough groceries for my table. And so I've got to grab everything I can. Yeah. And so this plays into so many places of life. If I don't forgive, I have put myself into a prison of my own making, but it is entirely up to you and you will be in prison until you forgive. 
That's so good. I love that so much, Wes. I think that what struck me so much was that you took the emphasis off of the person who hurt us or the person who took from us and really put the power back in your relationship with God because that's really what you're saying that forgiveness is about. It's about trusting God. It's not about what was done to me. It's not even about my relationship with the person who hurt me. It's about my relationship with God. And if I trust Him enough that He truly does have enough, that I don't have to cling to what was lost. I can trust him to take care of me. So I love that. It was so good. Well, I think everybody gets tested at this level in one way or another in their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's so, so good. So, okay, I want to transition. Um, our mission at One Life is trying to really help challenge people to take risks, dream big dreams, and live their life on purpose. And again, you mentioned it. You live in Nashville. <laughs> a There's city of dreamers, for sure. Of dreamers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, yeah. and that flushes itself out in the term, especially in your world, with, with speakers and authors and musicians and young creatives. And I would love to hear from you over the 45 years of being in this game. What you're talking about is what have you seen as the biggest like determining factor for those who succeed in their dreams versus those who don't and maybe just some advice you would give to somebody who has a dream they're pursuing I think if you have a dream you should pursue it to the best of your ability as long as you can until you either awaken to discover it's not the dream for you or that God has really given you that dream and this is going to be something you should continue to pursue mm-hmm. um, and that sounds like a like a funny catch-22 because I can't tell you if the dream that's in your heart is the right one for you. I can't even tell you necessarily if God put that dream in your heart or if it's kind of a doorway to the real dream mm-hmm. that he wants you to have. Um, but I believe our passion matters. You know, Romans 12 says those who lead should lead with zeal. And sometimes we get so passive in these things it's like, well, it didn't happen for me. You know, I had this idea, but the people around me didn't understand it, didn't see it, didn't. Who cares? Yeah. And and mm-hmm. part of it, you know, and maybe this comes out of that Amish work ethic or whatever that was so ingrained into us. But if people told me that I couldn't do something, I was of the mindset to go, oh, really? Well, wait and see. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right. At the time I yeah. moved to Nashville, I had also met a guy in Hollywood, California, who was uh, representing the leading Christian celebrities of the time, like Dale Evans Rogers, Roy Rogers, Pat Boone, you know, uh, Dean Jones, on and on and on the list went. He actually offered me a job about three weeks before I moved to Nashville, after I had already agreed to come here for one year. And I said to him, Wayne, listen, I've made a commitment that I can't break, but how about I bring Randy Matthews, who was the artist, bring Randy with me to the agency in California? And he said, oh, that Jesus music stuff, you'll never get, I, I think he said, you'll never get more than $1,000 a night for it. Well, <laughs> here, here you go on the business side of things. And I said, Wayne, listen, I'm going to call you in six months when I schedule the first event for $1,000. And I actually did it. So <laughs> nice. there's always Love something it. inside of me that wouldn't listen to, you can't do this. Oh, um, so good. Part of this thing about dreams and passion, all that is develop a curiosity that is not Google-centric. Mm-hmm. Good. Ask yourself the questions about what you see. Become a, an observer of the things around you. And you know, God has built into each one of you who are listening uh, something that is a, a natural giftedness that is derived from the image of God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in you. In me, those two things uh, that are primary are is that I'm a pioneer and that I'm a builder. 
I'm not a very good maintainer. I hire people in my company to do the maintenance work, to maintain the relationships. While I'm out there looking, I go, what would it be like if we climbed that mountain? And this is always inside of me. We're climbing the mountain and building this thing that we're going to build, but then on to something else. So God has put certain intrinsic things in everyone that need to be celebrated, but before they can be celebrated, they need to be discovered. So develop a lifestyle of curiosity and just mm. ask the Holy Spirit to be in charge of that and say, I don't care where this is going. Lord Jesus, I just want your direction. Show me. I'll walk in it. Amen. Yeah. Preach it. So good, Preach man. it, Dr. Yoder. Yeah, That's awesome. So, we, it. It's funny. You and I are literally cut from the same cloth. Oh my gosh, I'm just like, yeah. all right, let's build. Let's, let's go. I know, Wes, as you're talking, I'm literally pointing at Chris. Like, this is you, babe. Like, he's that way too. He's just like, okay, what's the next mountain? I'm like, back here. We just started this mountain. <laughs> we got to yeah. finish this guys one like first. Chris, guys like Chris and I scare our wives to death. Yes. <laughs> And listen, there's a point of wisdom that that comes from hard knocks. This is something I've paid dearly for, something I have learned. Listen, there are certain things, guys, that you just do. I mean, you make that phone call, you make this decision to hire this person, whatever. The moment you ask your wife for advice, the moment you ask your wife to pray with you about this and do not come to unity and go off and do whatever the heck you think you want to do, <laughs> most of the time you're going to be wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because because the, the, our, the, the wives God has given to us, and the husbands perhaps for the wives, I'm talking as a guy now. Yeah. I call Linda my little Holy Spirit because mm. she knows things about me I don't even ever tell her. She has <sighs> wisdom and perceptions that come from the Holy Spirit, from life, and it's just something that you can you can just count on. Take the time to come to the place of unity with your spouse. Mm, that's such great advice. Yeah. So that being said, leads us to our next question. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about is is risk, the the importance of people taking risk, and like you talked about passion. What is one of the biggest risks you've ever taken in your life? Kind of take us there, talk us through what it looked like, and how it turned out on the other side. You know, that's a funny question because it. Almost nothing that I have done has felt like that much of a risk. It just felt like something that I wanted to do or needed to do or ought to do. It, I think, looked like risk to other people. I mean, probably the biggest thing, the biggest risk that I've ever taken was the actual move to come to Nashville at 22 uh, to work for this guy that could promise me nothing more than a bed to sleep in in a cot in his living room (laughs) with a table and a phone set up in the living room that became the start of how we formed this company. And all he was able to give me most weeks, $150 a week. (laughs) You know, and so, I mean, from the standpoint of paying back my debt, being responsible, doing all this, it made completely zero sense in the world. (laughs) And yet it was something that I felt I needed to do, something that I felt I should do. And so I think a lot of times, you know, you got to really be careful with that risk factor in life. You know, you think things can't get any worse and they can but at the same time, <laughs> if, if you're walking in unity with the person uh, that you're married to, if, you know, walk in the unity, get the wisdom of other brothers and sisters, because you know, there's wisdom in many counselors. And you might be one of those people that is on a course to do things no one else has ever done. I mean, I think starting uh, the first computer company, you know, Gates and all those good jobs and those guys, you talk about a risk. Oh, and yet yeah. they had a vision, they had a dream, they knew something. So the problem is isn't for most people that they're not going to have opportunity. 
the problem for most people is they haven't prepared for the opportunity when it arrives. Oh, that's so good. I love that. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting. Like, you know, you said you don't feel like you've taken that many things that felt like risk, but I think everybody has different risk tolerances, you know, so for guys like you and Chris, nothing feels like a risk, but I'd I'd love to have your wife here asking her on the other side of some of those jumps, if that actually felt like a risk to her, you know? Yeah, she'd be rolling her eyes and and, and, and having a lot of comments right now, I promise you. sure. Oh, man. It makes me think about you. I'm just like in my head, I'm painting this picture of you on a cot or a couch <laughs> with a phone and a table. And imagine if you come across somebody now to go, it's just so hard to get started. And you're like, <laughs> you, you have the internet now. Like yeah. you, you have the whole world no yeah. available, man. I had a guy that for years told me, Wes, I, I need to write a book. I just need to write a book. I've got all this in me. I want to write a book. And I finally looked at him and I said, what's the problem? Every time I get with you, you're telling me you have to write this book. I said, what, have you started? No. He said, but I've got to. I go, why haven't you started? He said, I don't have a desk. Oh. I, said, oh, I said, I know where you can get desks secondhand for $25 just to shut you up. I would go buy you a desk. <laughs> right. oh, oh, no, I'm not quite ready. I go, okay, fine, great. Then you don't want to write a book. Right. Yeah. You don't want to write a book. Right. Yeah. What are you waiting oh, for? Oh, man. I just know there's so many people out there. They're going to want to connect with you. And we're not quite landing this plane yet. But tell us a little bit more about any other projects that you may be working on, if a little bit about maybe the ambassador agency, I would love for people to know how they can find that and incorporate partnering with the ambassador agency for their events and their and their organization. We invite people to come to our website, ambassadorspeakers.com. Well, one of the projects that we're working on presently is the story of a crooked white cop in Benton Harbor, Michigan, who arrests this African-American man who is completely 100% innocent, sends him to prison for 10 years. The story is called Convicted, and it's the story of this cop and how how Jamel forgave Andrew and the reconciliation that is now coming out of that. And to talk about racism, you know, as white people, we don't really believe that there's anything wrong with the system that we created. Mm -hmm. But there is such a thing that our our dear African-American brothers and some of our Hispanic community are suffering from the systemic racism that exists in our culture. I ask you not to close your eyes to it, but to say, Okay, I've been unwilling to admit there is such a thing, but what is it? So we're trying to engage the church and the culture at the cutting edge of some of these social issues, but doing it with the gospel, doing it with stories of redemption. And there's just all kinds of things. We invite people to come to the website. So That's so good, Wes. Man, we're I can't wait to go back through this and listen and take some more notes because <laughs> I'm just learning so much from you, as we always do. But Wes, we, uh, we like to close out the show with asking three questions. So I'm going to fire those at you. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit or a discipline that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the 20-year-old you? That's fun. A book that, that truly changed my life uh, was a book called Creation in Christ, written by George MacDonald. I found uh, MacDonald's writing through the writings of C.S. Lewis and Lewis's Mere Christianity and other books were truly transformative, shaping uh, a Christian mind uh, that has been so precious to me. Uh, a discipline habit that's changed my life. Oh man, just ingest the Word of God. Let it be rich to you. Don't you know, read through the Bible, yes, but read. And if, you, if it's like the third verse you're reading this morning that stops you in your tracks, don't try to go past it. Just sit there if you have to a week, two weeks, three weeks, and see what the Holy Spirit 
why did that that verse resonate so deeply this time that you read it when you read it 20 times before? So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the discipline, the habit, it is just I long for the quiet of the morning when I wake up where I can sit and read, I can sit and think, I can sit and pray, where so many times direction for what I'm facing in a given day it becomes clear to me. And then what advice would I give the 20-year-old you Quit worrying about being a success. Quit taking yourself so darn seriously. Uh, (laughs) Learn to laugh a little earlier in your life. I tell younger guys all the time now, I don't think that when I meet uh, Jesus, he's going to say, but I have one bone of contention to pick with you. You just weren't competitive enough. I I don't think he's going to say it. So, So some of my overly competitiveness, I regret. Because uh, I think mm. it hurt some people, and I'm sure it did hurt some people. And I, I think it uh, detracted from the enrichment of my own soul as I was pursuing these things, wanting so much to be wealthy, wanting so much to be a success, wanting so much for my emptiness and my insecurities to be fed with temporal things like the things we call success. Wow, that's so, so good. You know, what I, you know what I love, though, that you've been in this game in Nashville. You said you moved 45 years ago. And it's just when I listen to you, I feel like you're just getting started. You know, I mean, you have this wisdom and you have this excitement. But for you, you're like... You're still going. Yeah, yeah it's just good. like we, we got to keep going. So and maybe there's that... It sounds like you found a healthy place on the other side of that competition. But your passion and drive yeah. and probably your focus, it just seems like you're just still on strong. it and you're still going, man. I'm, and I just I'm a I love that. a little bit slower than I was. But I am <laughs> just a little bit. Just but, a but I am, you know, I'll take a nap on some afternoons, but I am just as engaged <laughs> and more so probably than I've ever been, and with a better sense of humor about it. So I'm I'm really thankful for that. I people ask me, Wes, you were involved in the early Jesus revival. You've done all these things in your life. You know, you're 67 years old now. What's the goal of your life now? I just say this: I want to be involved in the fresh new work of the Holy Spirit around the world, and I don't care what it is. I just Amen. want to participate. Yeah. And I think that's... That's what you're doing. God will... Yeah, yeah he's going to honor that, yeah. and he's doing that. He's using you to, to, gosh, help so many young people and so many people who are just trying to figure out what they're doing. So thank you so much for Agreed. being here today. One last question. If someone says, oh my gosh, I've got to reach out to this guy, is it, they just send you a Facebook message, follow you on Facebook. Like, What's the... Best way for someone to get in touch with you. You know, <laughs> this is not even fair, but there's that old Broadway musical, Pearly. Write me care of the post office. Okay, that's not <laughs> uh, yeah, You can, that's you can reach out by email to me, Wes at ambassadoragency.com. Okay, great, perfect. perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. And we'll actually put, we're going to link your book in the show notes because yeah. I know there's going to be tons of people who want to get that, that, pick yeah, that up. So good. So, I bought a bunch for the men on my Christmas list. I just ruined the surprise, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that's, yeah. that's really impressive, Jenny. I, I need to get you on my team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sign good. me up. Yeah, she's Sign in, up. man. I'm a fan. She, yep. She'll move the needle, that's I for will. sure. Yeah. So anyway, Wes, we love you so much, man. So thankful for you. Thank <laughs> you for being a part of this yes. new adventure that we're on. And thank you for impacting our life and so many other people's lives. It's been a blast. Peace of Christ to you. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Did he say pizza crust or peace in Christ? Peace of Christ. Peace of Christ. Peace of Christ to you too, Wes. Man, what a great conversation. We love you, Wes Yoder, and I hope and pray that each and every single one of you that listen to this 
felt the exact same way. What a great conversation. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Yes. As always, it means the world to us. If you head on over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and ultimately share it with the world. It means the, means the world to us. Yes. For more information on today's episode, check out our show notes at onelife.works. We'll have all the links to the books that Wes talked about, including his book, Bond of Brothers, which is on my new favorites list oh, for absolutely. sure. So good. Yeah, so make sure you pick it up. It's a great gift for Christmas. You can get it just in time. We want you guys to know we love you so much. It means the world to us that you're listening. And we also want you to remember that you only have one life. Live, Live it well. well.